0: Welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm the Bill Arnold part of that sentence. Just realizing today, I really don't follow relevant fashion trends. Just dawned on me. I'm looking at my outfit today going, eh, <laughs> I'm not sure what's going on anymore. You know, I grew up with four sisters and, you know, when you're walking out the door and you're putting that door on the, your hand on the door handle and they always go, you're not wearing that, are you? So maybe nothing's ever changed. Anyway, none of that matters. We've got a great show today. Uh, Jay Warner Wallace will be joining me in just a minute. Hour two is the prayer series. We're going to continue that and I'll be joined by Ann Graham Lots today. So it's going to be a wonderful show. My guest, uh, Jim Wallace is, uh, has been a regular guest on the show and on faith radio. He's appeared with Susie Larson. I think he's also been on with Carmen and he is the guest. Everyone wants to get the speaker. Everyone wants to, uh, to hire and the author that everyone wants to read. He's a, uh, former cold case homicide detective in Los Angeles, and he is also a senior fellow at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview, adjunct professor of apologetics at uh, Biola, and uh, Southern Evangelical Seminary. He's also a faculty member at Summit Ministries.
1: Jim, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Looking forward to talking today. Yeah.
0: Every time you're on the show, I have to resist my inclination to ask for your autograph.
1: Oh, wow, you're killing me. You're killing me with that. Uh, yeah. I can't help it. I didn't know who you I
0: You know, I go back to my original story. Jim Wallace, I didn't know who you were, and, and I went to a breakfast and heard you speak, and I thought, that is the best presentation of the gospel I've ever heard.
1: Well, I can tell you that if I ever need to have a pick-me-up, I feel pretty bad about myself. I'm going to listen to your introductions of me because they're far better than my real story, like who I really am. So this is great. I'm going to, now I know where to go to, to, to actually feel good about myself. Yeah.
2: Well, <laughs> speaking
0: of life uh, in Southern California and, you know, the yeah. whole fact that you know, nothing is really going on right now, what is it like for you to, to not be on the road, not to be traveling, not to be speaking at live events?
1: It is uh, tricky. We've had a few, you know, that people have managed. Depending on the state, of course, this is all before the holidays, so so that was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And then since the holidays, of course, we haven't done really anything. But boy, I'll tell you what—you probably have seen this too. We've all learned how to. Um, Do events virtually, right? We've all learned like what cameras do we need to buy and what software are we going to use. I think we've all become. I think I'm weary of it, though. I mean, if I had to do another like Zoom type (laughs) event, would you really want to do it? I mean, I think everything has been reduced to Zoom, so I don't know that that's going to be able to hold for very long. But I think we do it to kind of navigate a new culture that we're living in right now.
0: Yeah, I'll be real curious to see what happens when we all try to reset life, though, and we go back out. Will what would what will it be like? I mean, many will continue to want to work from home or be able to do it part-time. I think there's going to be some that are going to be reluctant to be in crowds, and maybe many will still continue to wear masks even when there's no need for them. Who knows?
1: Well, that's my concern, even as a church, right? Absolutely. We have some churches here that have stayed open. Uh, They've been open really since Pentecost Sunday, so they've they've kind of made a stand in a culture that really was against that. Uh, so so good for them. But for a lot of churches that have, have shut down during this time, what do they say? I think it's like six weeks of repeated behaviors before uh, a pattern becomes, you know, like um, a routine for you. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're well into that, right? So I'm, my fear is, are we setting a new pattern, a pattern of just dis- disassociation? Like, you know, like on Sundays, I realize, boy, I have more time in my day if I just do this little Zoom thing. I hope we haven't st- set bad patterns that are um, that are going to hurt us long term. We'll see. Yeah. Um, at
0: the, in the meantime, have you developed some fun little habits uh, as a result of you know more time at home, um, more runs, more more time outside, or has that all kind of been?
1: Yeah. No. Actually, we have. I yeah. think that um, this has been a time for a lot of you know. I. I had an entire career as a detective. So I'm in a different stage right now where I I don't have to, you know, a lot of what we're doing now, we call ministry. I almost hate to use the word. It's just Mm -hmm. kind of living your Christian life publicly, right? I mean, if, if we get this opportunity and I did have it to write books, well, now you get to do that. So, but I don't have to do anything. You know, I could, I could, I'm retired. I could just stay home and do nothing, <laughs> yeah, right? And yeah. so that has caused us to to, to to try to to live that way. Probably for a lot of other people too, who are my age, you know, post retirement type folks like me. Um, you really had a lot of time together and developing some new habits as a couple. Um, you know, it's been great, to be honest with you. It's been mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be hard, I think, to go back to to traveling. So we'll have to kind of figure out like, what is a good balance? Maybe this is a good chance for all of us to reset and think to ourselves, okay, what does this look like in terms of balance going forward? How do we maintain that balance and don't just slip back into the crazy, you know, we're in Southern California where you can't get anywhere without a two-hour drive before coronavirus. Right? Um, get How fast do I want to rush back into that life? You know what I mean? So a lot of that's going to be things fresh to think about for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. You raised a point that I'd love to talk about with you today, and that's how the, you've been a little bit bugged by the fact that Christians have s- apparently kind of reduced a lot or everything to politics
1: nowadays. Well, I can tell you, and, and I know that's... You and I both know, if you if you do this publicly on YouTube or on your podcast or on, on radio, that the minute we say anything, okay, we're probably going to be misunderstood or attacked because we don't hold the same view as the person who's listening. But I, I'm just going to throw a couple of things out for people to think about. I, I do think what we've done... And here's, here's how I first noticed it. And I would challenge your listeners to ask themselves the same question. You know, I'm on social media platforms, I was on those platforms for years before any of this uh, occurred in 2020. And and those platforms include things like Twitter and Facebook and all that. And I have a ton of people who follow me because I try to post uh, apologetics, you know, Christian case making, the evidences for Christianity. Even if I don't write them, I, I I follow 600 blogs. I post the best of that on my uh, Twitter following, for example, on on Twitter. So it's just like a place to go to get the best articles about the case for Christianity. It's not mm-hmm. political. I don't do. I don't have any political. It's all just what is true about Christianity. So I'm looking at like my, my newsfeed on Twitter. I think I have about 180,000 followers who are all Christians who are following me, I guess, because I'm talking about Christianity every day about 20 posts a day. It's a lot of information, right? You can read mm-hmm. you want. And I'm looking to see what it is that they're saying to each other. It's on your newsfeed. If somebody's following you or you're following them or you get this group of people who are in your circle – Um, You can actually see what they're saying on your newsfeed, right? I mean, I I would challenge you to go on your newsfeed on your social media and see what percentage of Christ followers are saying anything about Jesus Hmm. and what percentage of the Christ followers who you're connected to on social media are saying stuff about politics it's like um and and they, and boy and we know every detail about politics of this and that and who's doing this in congress and this and that i wonder if i asked you well what 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 is it why do we believe in the substitutionary atonement of jesus <laughs> we'd be like scratching our heads right like, mm-hmm. we, like we're not quite sure but we sure know why we have this position politically
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so i just wonder if we haven't shifted and this has been going on for you know generations okay but especially in this social media climate where let me let me give you another illustration that I think might help. Do you remember that we used to live that this is for old people, like I'm I'm almost sixty, okay, so this is for old people, okay? But if you remember there was a time before phones where the only you'd drive down your street and the only way you knew what your neighbors were thinking would be if you had them over for dinner. Or they were personal. Like You didn't know what they were saying about politics. You didn't even know where they stood about Not politics. Not a clue. Not a clue because their thoughts never penetrated, never got beyond the four walls of their house.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, now everyone's thoughts are publicly seen, and we're wondering why we have so much division. Before, it was easy to tolerate people. You didn't know what they felt You know about any particular issue that you were passionate about. Now you pretty much know what everyone thinks about every issue, and – we are not like tolerating our different views. We, we actually think the other person is more than wrong. The other person is evil for holding a different view. Mm-hmm. And I think social media just amplifies that. So I guess for me what I'm trying to, to think about is well, how can I withdraw back and and make the, the major things the major things? And even though know, I get that people who listen to this will say, well, politics is a major thing. Well, actually, I'm going to argue that there's something upstream of politics. It's, is the Bible true, and should we take it seriously? And that's all I talk about publicly. Mm -hmm. Is the Bible true? Should we take it seriously? Because if we agreed on those two things, a lot of the stuff that's downstream we'd already agree on. It's like we have to change our hearts before you can start to change culture. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I'm seeing right now is that most people, most of the people I'm encountering uh, who are calling themselves Christ followers, for the most part, hardly ever say anything about Jesus online. It's always about politics.
0: Wow. You know, I had this thought. I don't know what this is worth, uh, Jim, but it seems that, you know, God says, I want you to love one another. So all Satan will ever do is try to counterfeit God's truth. So he'll try to use whatever is available to get people to not love each other. I don't think yeah. even Satan cares that much about politics. He can use it as a tool to get people to not like each other.
1: No, I think I think you're right about that. I, I think that—and what I've noticed, you know, I write books. I'm, I'm just about uh, ready to finish my, my eighth book. and And my books, for the most part, are really just making the case for, is the Bible true, and should we take it seriously? Okay. That's been the focus of my work. What I've noticed, though, is that if I was willing to call out the other side on any particular issue and be kind of disparaging of the other side, you will sell more books. Wow. It's like you're capitalizing on this thing that I call otherism. Hmm. And otherism is simply our desire to affirm people who are like us, to gravitate toward people who are like us, to marry people who are like us, to have friendships with people who are like us. And if you're not like us, you're part of an other, other group. And this has been demonstrated scientifically with studies related to marriage, related to friendships, related to work associations. We gravitate toward people. You're far more likely, for example, to marry somebody who shares more of your genetic material than somebody who doesn't. Mm. We are drawn toward people who are like us, and we reject people who are, I say, otherly. And racism is just the cheapest, um, probably stupidest, uh, laziest form of otherism there is. How you just look across the room, I can see you're a different color. Therefore, I know how to divide. But if it wasn't about color, I'd still find a way to divide from you because my natural inclination is to say, I'm right, you're wrong. My view is better than your view, and I want to separate you. I want to look for the ways that you're not like me. And if you write books, for example, that capitalize on what's different between us… Those things will sell faster than ones that just make a case for truth. So I think this is where we are. I think in culture, and those two things combined with social media, it doesn't surprise me that we're seeing the stuff that we're seeing, and the kind of uh, vitriol that we're seeing. Like I've, I'm not reading articles. You know, uh, should you stay friends with the people who didn't vote like you? Really, really? It used to be we we, were, we had friends and work associates who didn't vote like us. But we probably didn't even know how they voted. And if we did, we didn't consider them to be our mortal enemy if we didn't agree. <laughs> yeah. So we're kind of that, there at that point now. Yeah. I remember,
0: Jim, when I was you know, a kid and I would go over to my friend's house and on that given night there would be a dinner party at their house and there would be the most wonderful sound of laughter and enjoyment and, and you would just walk away going, boy, here's a bunch of adults having a great time enjoying each other. And then you get older, and you realize, looking back, there was a diverse opinion politically in that crowd, but everyone loved each other.
1: Yeah, I think we actually had a, a restraining uh, ethos that kept us from dogpiling people who didn't agree with mm. And I wonder if that's just been eroded. like if it's just and and I would and I always say this if one of the, for, if I was the God of all uh, social media, <laughs> as bad as it may be, I wouldn't really first seek to monitor it and first seek to to like eliminate certain people. What I would first seek to do is make sure you only got on the platform if it included a picture of you and your family, not some fake you know um, icon that you stick on there. your hometown, and your real name, first, mm-hmm. middle, and last name. That's the only way you can get on, okay? Because I think what's happened is, is that you know, you you don't, you know, walk over next door and yell at your neighbor because you got to live next door to that guy. Right. He knows where you live, right. you know. Right. And what's happened here is we've gone the opposite extreme. If nobody knows where you live and nobody knows who you are, you can hide behind the fake name, and you, suddenly you're saying things that you would never say to your neighbor or you would never say if they could see you. How many times have you been like, hey, if every, uh, if every time you got on your phone, phone, it was a FaceTime rather than a phone call, you Mm -hmm. would dress better, okay? Because you don't know when someone's going to call and they're going to see how you really look right now, okay? (laughs) So I think we need to dress better basically publicly. And and so when people see us, uh, they know exactly who we are. And and trust me, if that happened, you would not say half the stuff you're saying online right now. Yeah,
0: you're convicting me from my opening remarks. Let me take a little break. Jay Warner Wallace is my guest. If you want to jump into this conversation, you certainly can. 877-933-2484 jim wallace is my guest today head over to cold case christianity.com it's got seven books up there you might want to get all seven My favorite is uh, Cold Case Christianity. I also uh, have Forensic Faith and Alive. They're all outstanding. But, um, Jim, right before we went to break, uh, we were just kind of talking about the way in which we can be quite reductionistic with other people. We seem to put them in categories faster than ever before.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. And I think that it's just easy to do that, right, when you look at the... Uh, how how we actually see each other now. It says we don't see each other as complex. We really kind of see each other based on whatever public persona mm-hmm. that we're willing to put. To, isn't it interesting? I always call this kind of like a proximity principle. If you had a target, right, you have a bullseye, and then you go all the way out to the outer rings of the target. It's like you can put people in your life. They fit somewhere in that target, right? Either mm-hmm. people in the center of the target, people who know you best. That's probably your spouse, your kids. Then the people on the outside, you know, about halfway out there, the people you work with, you know, your neighbors, <laughs> and all the way out to the outside rings. This is really the public world that sees us on social media. It's interesting to me that we spend so much time crafting who we are mm-hmm. to that outer ring when really if the people who know us best are the people who are in the inner ring, right, the, the, the bullseye. Those people know us, we, I, but we spend far more time crafting our, our image for the people in the outside rings of that target, than we do for the people who are in the bullseye. But but I think that's part of our problem is that, that what social media does is it, it it creates this. And by the way, if you don't want them to know who you are, then all you have to do is get that that anonymous profile, and then you can you can go for it. You can do whatever you want. I, I think I'm I'm looking at, at least at this point in my life is how do we how do we get back to to be caring about what's in the inside the inside ring that bullseye, and and how can we uh, you know, some people you're not going to let in there. You're not going. They're not going to know everything about you. That's okay. I, I wonder. Like my wife calls this the virtue of privacy. Like, have we surrendered? It is a vir- virtues are those things you ought to uh, strive toward, right? They're virtues. It turns out I think that the the privacy is a virtue that we ought to strive toward. Not people don't know. I'm not so important that people need to know my every thought.
2: <laughs>
1: you know, uh, and 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 none of us are really. And when we we have we have we have willingly surrendered. Our privacy. I mean how many of us have – I've got an Alexa sitting behind me in my office here that I use to turn lights off and on and all that, and, of course, it listens to me all the time. Um, and I'm willing to voluntarily surrender and, and relinquish my privacy, um, but there is a virtue to this. I think at least um, I have a, a duty not to have every stupid or rotten thought that goes through my head. Um, thrown at the people who I care the most about, right? Mm-hmm. Even thrown to the public. I mean, I just need to, like, you know, shut up. <laughs> you know, there are those small areas where you may be able to contribute something. There's a lot of stuff that I don't know enough, really, to be able to speak freely about you know, although here I am with you in public radio, and we're doing that right now. So it's a, definitely I've – I've struggled with this, trying to think, like, what role – what role do I play in that and and how should I balance that, right? That's been part of the struggle, I think, for all of us now with social media.
0: It's interesting, Jim, because the privacy is a very important deal. And then I also think of things like, you know, modesty and purity and some things like that, which seem to get um, very easily compromised with social media.
1: Oh, uh, well, absolutely. Well, look, here's the thing. It's like what I'm doing. I've decided when you first start, right? You're ambitious about that. Nobody writes a book they want no one to read. So you find <laughs> yourself um, doing whatever you can to help people find the book. Mm-hmm. But at some point, you gotta just let go of all that and just say, "Okay, this is just a part of my life as a uh, as a Christian. I want to write about the things I can write about. If people are willing to read those things, then I'm going to contribute in that way. But the goal cannot be always to see well, how." How big can this platform get? How big can I grow this Mm. platform, right? And that really is what social media does. You know that your kids would be much happier with thousands of people following them than they would with hundreds. They'd be much happier with thousands of likes on their picture than a 100. And that causes us to only post the things that we think are going to be approved by the people we care the most about. Especially for young people, right I mean like you're you're just trying to craft a a life a version of your a fake version of your life that'll get the most clicks and get the most likes and get the most followers and that's one of the problems with a a system like this that really you know for example, the other thing you could do on social media is not list the number of anyone's followers if you came on a profile and you did not know that there were a million people following that person how many i think that would change the way we behave mm-hmm Right, I mean, you, I mean, if there's no way you could ever know how many people are following you, then you would not be like trying to look, open it up every day and see if you've got more people following you. I mean, there's a lot of what we're seeing is that the the, the way the the media is, the way the the pro, um, the, uh, um, the platform is, actually dictates the way we behave. And because platforms allow you to hide and list how many people are following you and how many you're following, it it kind of it, there's a ranking system. Right. There's a ranking Mm system there where we actually judge each other based on the nature of our social media platform. Pretty scary.
0: Yeah. I want to go back to your first book and get back to the whole idea of the the look at me business, which is important because if you're trying to sell a book, it's pretty important Mm -hmm. to do whatever you can to get it out
1: there. No, it it is. And this is where look at it this way. If you wanted to measure success, it's it's I think it's fair and it's a good thing that we try to measure. Are we being effective? But if the only way to measure success, say, let's say as a pastor, is number of people who are in the, in the seats, like attendance, mm-hmm. or how many people are – how much is being donated each year. I can see people doing that. That's, you're looking for quantifiable ways to measure uh, your success. So you're looking for numbers. It's either going to be people in seats. It's going to be donations. It's going to be number of baptisms, let's say. But it's going to be something, some number that you're looking at and saying, well, I hope we're at least doing as well as we did last year. But you can see that if, if that's how we measure success, well, then it's really caught up. You get caught up in then trying to just focus on those three numbers. Like everything is about those three numbers because, in the end, that's how we're going to judge if we were successful. And that's the problem with social media, too, right? Any world in which we are so heavily dominated by social media and what people say to us, um, that. It, it, that platform, then, is, it's almost like we have a wrong way of looking at life. If that's the way you're leading a church, you're probably running it, you're looking at it the wrong way, and then suddenly you're investing time, money, effort, and staff trying to improve those three numbers. Instead of just doing, you know, the, the thing that organically produces growth, you're focused now on the growth. And that is really, I think, the, the trick with uh, social media.
2: I
0: think that's one of the things I've always admired about your approach, Jim. I mean, you write fantastic books, but you also put out tremendous amount of content on your website which you update all the time and keep fresh and it's engaging and interesting and stuff you want to read and pass on to people that you know and uh, you're just doing such excellent work all the time here I go again puffing you up so I'm sorry about that but you know my point is do excellent work and that should organically grow the
1: business and, and also i'll give you another analogy that i think is, is i'm t- 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 saying more to you today that we've probably ever talked about in these categories but um and i don't want to run into the hard break but uh, you know i think you're right about trying to, to do an excellent job and you and you and that's true for all of us but recognize that some of the, the stuff i'm doing is going to have a small audience and the reason why it's going to have a small audience is because it's 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 we don't we haven't raised up a church that is necessarily critically thinking about everything mm-hmm our bar to get in sometimes is very low, and 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 so, so if we said, hey, the only way you can get into this system is you have to know that God exists and that Jesus Christ is God and he died for your sins, and there's three years of catechism, <laughs> three years of, of <laughs> theological training. Yeah. How many people would be in the system? Probably not many. Mm-hmm. But if we don't do something with that third piece, you know, the the the, cate- the, the catechism, the, I hate to say it that way. It's, it kind of brings back the uh, images of Catholicism. But my point is a discipleship training. If we don't spend time in that discipleship training, then we leave people, as as Paul would say, as baby Christians. Yeah, good And point. that's the danger. Yeah,
0: so. Jim Wallace is my guest, and he is so smart. He knows all about hard breaks because that's how much radio he does, which is uh, makes makes my job much easier. So we'll take a little break. we we'll come back lots more with Jay Warner Wallace. Head over, head over to coldcasechristianity.com to learn more about Jim and his amazing work. Be right back.
2: It's the afternoon show with Bill Arnold. time, drive time. Let's get it started.
0: I'm back with Jay Warner Wallace. He's a Dateline featured cold case detective. He's an author, speaker, a senior fellow at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview and adjunct professor of apologetics at Talbot School of Theology, which is Biola University and Southern Evangelical Seminary. Um, Jim, I was thinking, do we do much uh, honest discussing, debating anymore, or do we just kind of hold parallel monologues with each
2: other?
1: Man, that's a good question. I think that you see debates online all the time, right? And I've been asked to do a number. I just don't usually get involved in it because I, I was at one years ago, um, a famous uh, philosopher of religion uh, on the Christian side, really gifted, and a famous kind of um, well, well-published atheist on the other side. And that, it was a great um, debate. Both people made their cases. Um, of course we thought that the, the Christian side was really powerful and did a great job in that debate, but afterwards I was watching the message boards in all the social media, and what I noticed is is that, that I didn't, now look, I've heard people say they were persuaded by debates, but what I saw on the message boards was like this vitriol about, ah, well, our guy just had a bad night, you know, kind of a thing, but it's kind of like when when you and I, you know, were growing up if you were a Muhammad Ali fan or a Joe Frazier fan, they <laughs> fought each other three times and every mm-hmm. other time it seemed like the other one would win, right? right. And after each fight, you if you were a Frazier fan, you just thought Frazier had a bad night. He'll get him next time. No, <laughs> you didn't stop being a Frazier fan because right. Muhammad Ali won. Right. Right? And you didn't stop being an Ali fan because Frazier won. You just, you know, you held in your positions, but you still wanted to watch the fight. Well, that's what I'm wondering if we've gotten to the point where we are kind of fixed in our positions, but we still enjoy the fight. And I mean, if that's the case, that I I think my time is better spent doing something else, right? That's why I, for the most part, hesitated in, in doing, I'm just not sure anymore, in a polarized social media world, that you're reaching people on the – and this is what I'm hoping to do. Like there's a, there's two sides to the political aisle. There's two sides to the cultural aisle. I get that. But the gospel, I want the gospel to be heard by both sides because there are folks who might think they know the gospel, but they really don't. They have a twisted version of it, or they just have got, got a cultural version of it. And there are people who have never heard it at all, and I'm trying to reach both because I, I truly believe that in the end – that's the thing that changes you, right? It's 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 um it's it's an inside out transformation mm-hmm. that begins with God changing your heart first and then it goes from there. Um so I think that's part of uh, I don't you are having a unique uh, show it seems to me Bill because you are um interested and in they kind of to kind of dig down. You've done shows on what is, you know, the gospel itself, you've done you've done more theological shows with people who have come on and spoken about the theological truths. Yep. But have you noticed that most, I mean, mean, it's not by true of your audience because you've cultivated an audience. But I find that a lot of Christians are just not interested in those deeper things. And that's to our own demise as a church. Hmm. And here's the analogy I try to use. Um, Okay, so the Chiefs are now uh, in the Super Bowl. Okay? There are a lot of really rabid Chief fans who will go to games in Airhead Stadium where they are like in dressed up or they're half naked with their body painted red, you know, they've got their painted in the team logos on their chest, you know, or whatever. And they'll, they'll say, Hey, we are true chief fans. And somebody else might say, well, yeah, I live in Birmingham and I'm a chief fan too. Okay. Uh, have you ever been to a game? Uh, no, I watch them on TV. Well, I- have you ever like taken your clothes off and painted your body red? Well, no, actually I, that's kind of crazy, but I, I don't do that. I I have got you know, I'm a Chiefs fan. Really, do you know what their what, what their uh, defensive philosophy is? Do they run a three four or a four three? Do they press in coverage or do they is it man to man most of the time? Do you know what they're gonna do next weekend? Well, I don't know anything about that, but I'm still a Chiefs fan. You're not a Chiefs fan. You don't even know what the philosophy is for their defense. Can you even name their offensive linemen? Well, not really, but I'm still a Chiefs fan. No you're not. You don't know anything <laughs> As a matter of fact, they'll say to you in Birmingham, well, look, I'm a Chiefs fan, but you're like a nut job. You're like a lunatic, okay? That's a little bit crazy. I got enough Chiefs fan in my life. Mm -hmm. I know enough about the Chiefs to call myself a Chiefs fan, okay? I don't have to be obsessed about it or make it my everything. And this guy's – and the other guy who's painted red right now is thinking I run everything through my Chief fandom. (laughs) Okay, well, this is kind of how the church looks at those of us who think, no, we ought to – this should be our everything, right? We should know enough about Christianity to be able to parse out what's true and what's false and be able to make this case. I I know if they run a 4-3 or a 3-4. I know if they're in press coverage most of the time. I know who their players are. In other words, we kind of over here on this side wonder – and by the way, we look at the other group, you know, those fans in Birmingham, and we think, are they really fans at all? We kind of look at the church that doesn't even care to know these things or can't distinguish between these things. Or doesn't even know what the biblical worldview is related to, say, human anth- you know, anthropology, mm-hmm. or related to the, you know, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, or related to the deity of Jesus. And they'll deny half of these things because they don't know what they are. But they'll say, i got enough Jesus in my life to call myself a, a, a Christ follower. I don't need to know all that. And that's true if you're on your deathbed, okay? Mm-hmm. But, but Paul says you can't stay in that position, the baby Christian position. But it's interesting that they truly do look at us as though we're painting our, you know, ourselves red in the stadium, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's just over the top. But we would argue that that I think a little bit we want to say, I'm not quite sure you can know enough. Jesus did say this in Matthew 7, right? He said, hey, a lot of people say you're healing things and doing things in my, my name, but I'm going to say I never knew you. And I just wonder, I, I, that to me when I read that verse for the first time, I think it's 721, i got to go back and take a look, but... Um, it shook me. You know, like, oh, wow, could I be in that position? Do I have to be a theologian to call myself a Christian? Well, of course not. But I probably have to have some idea of what the Christian worldview teaches in a number of categories. And guess what? If you do, if you know what those things are, well, suddenly it's going to affect the way you see culture, the way you respond to what's on Netflix tonight, the way you cast a ballot. It's going to, it's going to affect a lot of things about how you see the world. But it starts there. It doesn't start once you enter the, the, the voting booth, right? It starts way back at, have, are you enough, are you committed enough to this thing you call God? And as I'm looking at the people who follow me on social media and who I'm following on social media, sadly, even those who are public Christians, they don't post nearly as much about Jesus as they post about all the things they're complaining about. And I get that. That's my inclination, too. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that our proclamations about culture are going to change the world. I honestly think that it's our proclamations. Uh, John Stott put it this way once. He said, evangelism, "Evangelism is the major instrument of social change, for the gospel changes people, and changed people can change society." Cool. Oh, that's
0: so good. That's so good. So, Jim, I'm just trying to understand if, as as followers of Jesus, we should be those rabid KC fans, right?
1: Yeah, I, I kind of think that if it's like it's this. When I got saved, the first apologist I read, and I didn't know there was such a thing as an apologist, Christian apologist, was C.S. Lewis,
2: mm-hmm.
1: who said Christianity is either it's either if it's true, if it's not true, we should just walk away from it. If right. it is true, but we should we should be all in. It's it should be the most important thing in our lives. The one thing he said that Christianity cannot be is moderately important. It's either unimportant or everything, but it cannot be moderately important, and that makes total sense to me. I just knew that from the beginning. And maybe it's just that you know, I'm a compulsive you know, a person anyway, obsessive person anyway, and I've just poured all that compulsive, obsessive uh, interest into this one area. But I guarantee you, if you're going to pour that kind of interest into something, this is the one that's the safest place to do it. If you're somebody who was like me before, I was a home improvement fixer-upper guy. I mean, I would constantly be doing something to improve the house. The house does not really change in the last 20 years now, because once I got saved, I took that energy and put it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, our house isn't as great as it could have been after 20 years of working on it. (laughs) Uh, But hopefully we've we've done something that transcends the four walls of the house.
0: Yeah. Jim, so many people are saying so many things about God in the public arena today. It's pretty important to know uh, what God's Word says so you can have some defense against it. Because if someone says— well, KC is going to lose for sure in the Super Bowl because they don't run the nickel D. Right. And you go, I don't know what they're talking about. How do you defend the faith if you don't know what they're talking about?
1: Yeah, no, that's that's. I think we are called to know enough about this. And this is throughout all of Scripture. You're talking about how to guard the truth, how to defend the truth, Uh, and so all of us. And by the way, you're willing to do that for almost any other. You're willing to do that for Kansas City if you're a Kansas City fan. You know enough about that team Mm -hmm. to not only defend it but to pass your passion for that team down to your kids. Like they know what you're spending your time on is what Mm -hmm. you're passionate about. And I don't want to be remembered for that. You know, my kids remember. Oh yeah, he was a big you know Rams fan. I don't. That's not what. You know, that's not who I want to be remembered for. I want to be remembered as the person who led them to the to, to what was the most important truths that are out there, yeah. And I think what happens is if you just say, okay, the equation for salvation is uh, God exists plus Jesus is God equals you're now a Christ follower. If you just accept those two things, you're now a Christ follower. Well, that that if you just accept those two things, God exists, Jesus is is God. If you don't go further and talk about what's the theological outcome of that, the kind of creedal truths that, Chris, that, that traditional Christianity has taught for 2,000 years, well, you could stop right there, and then some Mormon comes knocking on your door, and guess what? Well, that seems to fit their template. Some Jehovah's Witness comes to your door. That seems to fit their template. Some progressive church you're, you have to be sitting in has completely misunderstood the, uh, you know all the basic tenets of Christianity. Well, that seems to fit. If all I have is that first two, it turns out what we want to do is we want to add God exists, Jesus is God plus all of those truths those theological rich truths that keep you and point you to the real Jesus and I think what we've done as a church is we've kind of got the first two that's you know if you're going to share with your friend you're not going to If if your friend was to accept Christ, you're not going to say, okay, good. I'm going to give you this Bible. I want you to read the letters of Paul. We're going to talk again in two weeks, okay, because that's probably the thing we're not going to do. Once our family members have kind of accepted Christ, we're kind of on their own, right? They're like, oh, woohoo, we're done. (laughs) No, we just began because Mm -hmm. you can lead to all kinds of false truths about Jesus if we don't take the time to actually – Help people see what is true theologically. That's that kind of deep. That's the painting, and with every stroke of painting that red paint on your on your chest, that's what we're doing. Because now, well, now you're one of those crazy people who thinks it's got to be all that stuff too. Well, no, I'm not saying it has to be a bunch of extra stuff, but if we're not careful, we'll end up worshiping the wrong Jesus.
0: Hmm. Um. We're going go to break it a couple of minutes here, but I, I, in the conversation we had prior to the show, Jim, uh, you prompted this subject and I do want to talk there's very few people whose mind I would want to engage on this topic, but yours at the top of the list. And I would be interested in hearing your response to the riot at the Capitol a couple of weeks ago.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's something that has troubled me to figure out like what what role do we play? You're like me, we're public Christians who have time to speak on these issues. Um, if we don't speak on these issues, is that lack of you know it's kind of like silence is violence, kind of a thing, right? If we don't say something, then suddenly we're either affirming it or ignoring it. And and I don't I, I don't I don't talk about political current events on either side, so I cannot be accused of being silent on one side or the other. But I do think there are some commonalities, and that's where I think we need to be able to kind of master, like what about these current events? actually demonstrates that a Christian worldview is true. That's what I'm most interested in. Mm -hmm. Not where do you stand on this issue? What do you think about that? Here's what I'm watching the whole thing and saying, wow, there's stuff that's happening across the country that just repeatedly affirms our Christian worldview. What I love about Christianity is that it, 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 it describes the world the way it really is. And uh, even, even th- these tragedies, like so we see, like the rioting and all of that stuff. And so I don't know if we're picking this hard heartbreak, but I'll tell you, I think that is something we need to think about as a group, is is um, does this thing we're seeing, is it best explained by our Christian worldview or by some other worldview? Mm. And if it's by our Christian worldview, then we can use these events to actually preach the gospel.
0: All right, let's break now, and then when we come back, we'll I'll have you finish those thoughts. They're wonderful. Jim Wallace is my guest. Go to coldcasechristianity.com. Com, coldcasechristianity.com. Be right back. Welcome back to the show. Jay Warner Wallace is my guest. Head over to coldcasechristianity.com. He's got so much content over there. You will love it. All right, uh, Jim, let's pick up a little bit where we left off uh, just as we discussed the uh, Capitol events of a couple weeks ago and what we can learn.
1: Yeah, okay. So, I mean, again, I'm going to say some stuff that's probably going to seem like it's not, you know, everyone wants somebody who will uh, speak out and affirm their position, right? So they can say, okay, this guy agrees with me. Uh, I'm going to back up a little to a worldview level. Um, I'm never surprised when people on either side of any divide, if it's a cultural divide or a political divide, behave poorly because there aren't real good guys or bad guys. We're all the same guy, and we're all fallen. And this is the thing that is demonstrated in all of this, is that there's, there's a, a false view of the world out there called critical theory right? that kind of argues. Their core belief is that we are all by nature really good, but we are often corrupted by systems. And these systems then take the, 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 the good people we could be and pervert them and puts us in places where we behave poorly. So we have a systemic problem rather than a heart problem. But that assumes a worldview that isn't true, is that I, – I, if, if, if it's true that we're all naturally good people, but really? Okay, so we don't have to teach, you never have to teach your children to be selfish. They are born that way. You don't need to teach your children to steal from their brother. They'll do that naturally. You don't need to teach their, your children to be impatient. They are naturally impatient. We have to teach them these hard virtues because they aren't part of our natural condition, and I don't care who you're raising. This is the nature of how we are born. Even if I'm not a Christian – it would be obvious to me that we're not good by nature. We're greedy by nature. We want sex, money, power. Those are the three things we all that could be good, but they could also be perverted towards something evil. And we have a tendency to do that. So it's not that the system – I guarantee you. You can devise some system you think is better. You can put people in it. They're going to corrupt it, and you're going to have the same rotten behavior, but they just managed to manipulate that system. So this idea that everything in life is about politics or about power and oppression and struggles for power and struggles for oppression assumes that if you could somehow change the system and get everything level, that people wouldn't still figure out a way to claw for oppression and power. They would. Mm -hmm. It's it's going to happen because this is our default position. And Christianity teaches this, this biblical anthropology. Who are we according to the scriptures? Well, no one is good. No one seeks after God. We are all uh, uh, the offspring and descendants of, uh, the, fall, the first fallen couple. We have a sin nature, and 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 the only thing that ever changes that, nothing really changes it. I mean, even after accepting Christ as Lord, I mean, I'm, I certainly feel like I'm called to better behavior, and I feel God's Spirit is directing me toward better behavior. But in the end, I'm still a mess who needs what Jesus did on that cross every day. And so when I watch things like uh, like the like any riot we see on either side of the aisle. What you typically find is that when the riot occurs, if it's one side of the aisle, they either say, well, that that wasn't really us. That was a bunch of imposters, or those are people who I don't represent. They don't represent me. Well, look, we're all the same people group, and I'm not going to be surprised when I see that whatever hijinks one political side tried to play when the other was in power, as soon as it flips, the other side will try the same hijinks because we're still the same fallen people group. And I also know that – as I see like secular humanists and people who are atheists don't believe in God, most of them hold a position that people are generally good by nature, and they're corrupted by their upbringing, by the systems that are in place that corrupt them. But I think that should at least cause us to pause. Do we really believe that that worldview is true, given that I can pretty much demonstrate that that view of humans isn't true? And it ought to cause us to question that worldview in its entirety. So when I'm watching these things happen – of course, this is a guy who like watches – I've seen every kind of good person, according to people, do a murder and mm-hmm. be guilty of a murder. And if you do that long enough, you're like, really? Okay, so anyone can put that face out there, but we're all the same killer. We just haven't been provoked, or we just haven't been in that scenario. But if we were in that scenario, I'd never think, oh, I would never do that. I just learned a long time ago that – and this is why – how many times do you hear, like even one of our own, uh, when this happened recently with a very famous apologist, right, Ravi Zacharias? Mm -hmm. The first response from Ravi's team was, this does not comport with the man we knew. Mm -hmm. And my first thought is, oh, trust me, it never comports with the guy who did it, okay? Because, Because that view of humans is not a biblical view of humans. The biblical view of humans is you're that dirty, nasty, little secretive thing that you're that guy. I'm that guy. We're all that guy. Mm-hmm. And But for the grace of God, um, we'd be in the exact same situation.
0: That's just, that's a profound uh, reminder, Jim. So I, I appreciate that. I mean, you do see things that happen on the news where there might be someone that, you know, robs a convenience store and everything's on tape and, you know, on the person gets arrested and they say, that's just not me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that that's not who I am. It's like, well, actually it is because you, you did it and you got arrested and you were on yeah. tape doing it. So that is yeah. you.
1: Well, I mean, how about this? You you have a case that is entirely circumstantial like mine usually are. And then you have family members who would say, I've, or my, his neighbors will say, I know this guy. Or his best friends will say, I've, they'll come in as character witnesses and say, oh, no, no, no. There's no way he could ever do that. Here's, let me show you something good he did. And, and this is true. You could find something good that Ted Bundy did, okay? Right. About the only person you probably can't find something good to do is probably Richard Ramirez, right? But I mean, yeah. pretty much everybody else, yeah. uh, unless you're getting to follow the true crazy. And th- th- remember, it, it, it's not that it, – the, the people who aren't crazy, sane people do crazy things. The fact that you did something crazy is not a demonstration that you're crazy. That's a whole other issue. Sane people that we live next door to I, – I only know this because I get to work the cases – but sane people do really outlandish, crazy things all the time, or we'd never convict anybody. So we got to remember we're part of that group. right? So when I'm watching these uh, riots, I, I, I have a bit of, of a hesitation about saying, well, that, those people, I'm not like that, or casting too much judgment on it because I know that in the end… Both sides will do this. We're all going to be the same person. We, I don't see a lot more civility, to be honest with you, on the Christian side as I'm watching these dialogues on social media than I'm mm-hmm. seeing on the other side. The vitriol seems to be – we might use different language. You might not cuss, but your vitriol level seems to be pretty high, and that's just how we're treating each other right now. a lot of that I do think comes back to the distance – between us on social media I, even if I have my name and my address I might be on the other side of the country and I feel safe screaming at you on social media I honestly think that if, as we kind of uh, as Christians if we make a, a concerted effort to change the way we behave on social media a lot of things would change
0: you know I'm sometimes thinking of Christians who can be driving in a car and somebody cuts them off and it startles them and and they're their cortisol surges and their adrenaline goes through the roof and all of a sudden they find themselves just laying on the horn and there's something about that that just is rewarding or it feels good or they can somehow justify it and isn't that in some way what we're doing on social media just from another part of the world screaming at somebody?
1: Well, look at it this way: the people with the best upbringing, who know better, who would teach their kids not to do that, will still, in that moment, find themselves doing that. Why? Mm-hmm. Because our nature is exactly as described in Scripture. Even that uh, first impulse—not to be nice, not to do good, but to do evil—that's our first impulse. Especially if we put pressure on it. If you mm-hmm. stub your toe, you're not going to praise God, right? <laughs> you're going to be—you're going to say something you shouldn't say. Right. And this is the kind of thing that even the best of us do this because Scripture describes the world the way it really is. And any view, any worldview that attempts to describe humans as basically good but corrupted by something external misses it. Mm -hmm. Scripture tells us we're corrupted by something internal. It's our heart that needs changing. It's not an external force of a system or a political party or any of that. It's It's our hearts that need to change. Yeah,
0: so true. All right, Jim. Were there any other uh, truths about Christianity that have that kind of seemed apparent to you uh, watching some of the news of what's going on in the state cap- capitol and others? Other things. Yeah, I,
1: I, we have a desire to elevate people to the place that is, is reserved for God. This is why we have monuments, right? We 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 elevate. We're looking for the perfect man or the perfect being, right, male or female, that we can create a statue for, that we can uh, elect into a position. And that to me speaks of a natural desire we have, right? I mean this, this is something that C.S. Lewis wrote about too, this desire. If we have this desire for this thing that we cannot fully um, realize in this world, it may be that our desire is pointing to something we will realize in the next, and I think our desire to, to elevate people into positions, Savior positions, just speaks of our our true desire uh, for God that is misplaced in this world because, you know, but, but this is all we have, right? So, And these are like, for example, uh, probably happens more often than not with people who don't even ha- hold a faith of any kind, that they are um, trying to elevate people into that place of longing. We all long for the Savior, Mm-hmm. And if we don't have the, the true Savior, we will try to create saviors of our own, and we'll do that in any setting, especially in politics.
0: Yeah, so true. So going back to an original point I made about you and your excellent work, um, you know, you grow your your platform organically, do excellent work, put it out. Coldcasechristianity.com is the place to go look for Jim and his work. Got a nice uh, uh, text message, Jim, from a listener named Joyce. She said, uh, Jim Wallace is one of my favorites. He's also so knowledgeable. And he went up significantly on my list when he spoke at the Bible conference in our town last summer and helped us sell lots of his books.
1: Oh no. Yeah. So there you go. Thank you for making me a liar. By, 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 my whole goal is to sell books.
0: No, I no, no. You. you do excellent work and people want your books. That's, that's well,
2: I can my tell feeling. You,
1: I honestly, that I hate selling books, but when somebody a bookstore like hers yes. buys a bunch of books to sell them, I feel bad. And of I thought, like, okay, we're going to sell these books for you because I do not want you stuck with a bunch of books that you had, you bought, you know, thinking you could, you could sell right. them at a the conference. But, what but you I did I'll tell is you.
0: you did a lot of people, a lot of favors because they ended up getting your book and, and, and le- learning a lot from it.
1: Well, I hope that, you know, this is, this is why, like I always say, you don't write something you want no one to read. You don't, we're, not, <laughs> we're not doing this show that we hope that nobody will hear it. Right. We actually do these things because we feel call, God has called us. And you're using us. You could easily do something else with your radio show. Oh, I know. You could easily have done, used your voice, used your ability, used your understanding for radio, and done some entirely different kind of show someplace else. So I think what God does is he takes us where we are and he says, hey, what are your gifts and are you using them for me? Yeah. And that's good enough for me.
0: I have Ann Graham-Lotz next. Do you know her?
1: Oh, yeah. Let me tell you, the, 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 she's amazing. Yeah. Uh, great writer, too. I'll say I hi to her for you. About, yeah, for sure. All okay. right.
0: Thanks a lot. Jay Warner yep. Wallace has been my guest, coldcasechristianity.com. After a short break, Ann Graham-Lotz will be with me. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.